From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Thursday, February 15, 2024, fresh new podcast. I'm Crash Connell. Mary Danielson is here. And I got to say, driving in this morning here in Northeast Wisconsin, it feels more like Wisconsin now. We got yeah. snow on the ground once again. Yeah, it's did. all gone yeah. for a while. That's yeah. weird. Yeah, so. That big storm that that whole thing it took all this whole time, almost a month to melt, but melt it did, and and now we have a little bit more. But it's going to warm up again, so we'll take it. Kind of like the winter that never was. <sighs> anyway, we are welcoming back Jim Fletcher today. We have a lot to talk about. But first, I want to open with an absolute gem of a verse that is tucked into Amos 9. And that verse is Amos 9, 6. And it says, He who builds his layers in the sky and has founded his strata in the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth, the Lord is his name. And this really, really caught my eye about this, the, um, the layers in the sky, the strata in the earth. And I'm pretty sure that science hadn't figured out atmospheric layers or geological strata at this point, 750 A.D. So rock strata was still, um, understanding that was 2,400 years after Amos. And uh, atmospheric layers, 1902, that's 2,600 years after Amos. And yet here we have... God's word with these little things he tucks in there, and I was totally blessed by that. So uh, let's pray this morning, and we will welcome back Jim Fletcher. Oh, Lord, we come to you today with nothing of our own, and we ask that you fill us with your spirit, guide and direct our steps. Help us to continue to grow in the knowledge of you in great and marvelous ways. Lord, we pray for opportunities to tell someone of your goodness and grace, for open doors to bring hope and healing. Lord, the world needs that so badly. Uh, for those struggling with illness, Lord, we lift them up to you or, or difficulties. We pray that you would draw near to them, that they could have your perfect peace. I lift up Jim today and ask for wisdom and direction, for discernment, and to accomplish those things that you have given him to do. Thank you for his gifts and his labors for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jim Fletcher is a longtime supporter of Israel, an independent researcher and writer, Bible prophecy teacher. Uh, his work can be seen at the God That Answers, and that's at patreon.com. Jim, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Thanks, Mary. It's good to be with you again. Yeah, it's great to have you back. Now, your Patreon blog, I'm just going to start here by saying, you know, the God That Answers. I've, I've been wanting to ask you this. Tell us about the significance of that title to you. Yeah, it really comes from uh, I, I, a few years ago. I was really struck by... Uh, the story of Elijah and the, the prophets of Baal, and uh, in that account, uh, and, and you know, he said that the God that answered by fire is the true God, and so the, those that were there that day got to see that. And so, it, it seems to me that uh, God is answering in our day too through the fulfillment of Bible prophecy, and and so that's kind of where that comes mm. from, and, and you know, the fact that. Unfortunately, most churches today completely leave the subject alone, um, and yet there are tremendous opportunities to reach people with the gospel through the examples of fulfilled prophecy. I mean, 
uh, you know, prophecy proves God exists. Right. And and so you can engage people that way. So that's kind of what that came out of. And then um, after I uh, got back from Israel last year, I, I launched the site. And uh, so that's what I'm doing for the duration. It's my new venture, but I'll be doing that until the Lord comes mm-hmm. back. So Yeah, yeah. And the God that answers Israel and answers us and... Yeah, that's a great, great title. I'm glad I asked you that because I kind of wondered what you were thinking at the time, and and I, I'm really yeah. glad that you clarified that. Um, are you still going to Israel this spring, or no? Well, <laughs> funny you mention that. Um, we were just having a discussion about it a couple of days ago, and it's it's a little bit up in the air right now, um, and, and for a couple of. Uh, you know, reasons, of course, that nobody can anticipate. One of is, uh, you know, obviously what's going on over there. But even with what's going on, I personally wouldn't feel unsafe. The problem, though, for a tour is uh, two things. One, there, there are just now several sites that we would not have access to. Um, you know, the extreme north, of course, but even in the Galilee, uh, and this is this touches on the other problem, with all the uh, the Jewish citizens of Israel that have been forced out of their homes because of this war in the North and South, uh, now hotel rooms are a problem. Mm. Um, I had a friend that just got back from a tour with Friends of Israel, and he said they stayed at, the, at a hotel in uh, Tel Aviv in uh, Jerusalem, and the one in Tel Aviv had 900 Israeli citizens in it. And so all that to say, uh, the trip the trip is up in the air. We're talking about postponing it until fall okay. when I think things will be, uh, yeah, well, I started to say things will be a bit calmer, but we can't yeah. say that. So, yeah, no kidding. Uh, no. But anyway, that's probably what we're looking at. That's an interesting ramification of this war is hotel rooms, civilians yeah. staying in hotel rooms. I mean, when I first started to go to Israel, and I think 99 was my first, my first trip, it wasn't as crowded there. You kind of had the pick of hotels, and, and yeah, the, the tours yeah. were really inexpensive, actually, relatively inexpensive. And as the years went by and people started to, to trickle in, tourists, um, you had to get your hotel rooms early. But now this is a, a different wrinkle that I had not heard of before. So, um, and prices. Yeah, and it's, and it's yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. It, it's, it's a problem that's going to continue for a while yeah. because they, and we can get into this a little bit later, but, uh, you know, there's no time frame for these people to right. be back in their homes, and wow. so this is kind of this is kind of indefinitely the situation. Wow, very unique times we're living in. One of your posts on uh, the God that answers again, that's on Patreon. Were David and Goliath real? And that's a very captivating headline. And I know you probably chose that for a reason. I know you well enough to know that. But the article itself is really about apostasy and unbelief and willful ignorance. And I'm wondering if you could just uh, dive into that a little bit and tell me why you chose uh, David and Goliath. And then and then you have uh, Peter here talking about scoffers, uh, and you really build this well. So tell us a little bit about why you chose that were David and Goliath real, and what does that have to do with apostasy? Yeah, um, well, you know, last, uh, last spring when I was in Israel, um, Actually, and I've been several times. I had actually never been to the Valley of Elah, hmm. uh, where where this took place, and so um, I, I went down there myself and rented a car and uh, and saw the actual location. and It and it fits exactly with the the description 
uh, in, in Samuel about uh, the landscape and things like that. And so, um, now, now this is a little bit of an aside. Then this was a funny part of that uh, that that day. You know, I, so I'm driving south on Highway 38, and it's a beautiful day. And I knew I was getting close to the area. There was even big highway signs that they did say Elah. So I knew it was there. But, you know, Americans, we, and especially where I live, tourist area, you know, I just expect some cheesy big signs or, mm-hmm. you know, a big fiberglass Goliath on the side of the road or, you know, <laughs> let you know you're there. There's nothing. And I had to stop at a, uh, a convenience store <laughs> and ask where it was. They told me. Um, but but then when I I saw the place and again against the backdrop of the, of the biblical account, then it all made perfect sense. And and so anyway, you know I, I've been thinking about that for a while. That's kind of been incubating in my mind is is the idea that a lot of people uh, don't think that that actually happened. They you know, and we talked about this before, and and it's one of my favorite subjects, but. You know, this is 200 years of of liberal scholarship in seminaries uh, and other places. And then, of course, they're producing pastors, and they bring us into the pulpit. Yeah. Um, it, it's subtly introducing the idea that, that some uh, or all of the Old Testament is myth. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you take that to this logical conclusion, and, and young people are especially uh, discerning about this, believe it or not, if you tell them that there are biblical figures that didn't really exist, they will they will then say, "Well, then why are you telling me Jesus existed?" Yeah, oof. And and so this is the problem. And and so, you know, there, there's a lot of examples of of this doubt that's sowed by teachers, writers, speakers, and it's really popular today to do that. Um, you know, the emergent uh, group and that sort of thing. And so. Mm-hmm. I was reading a book recently, and and you know the guy, the the guy uses the word legend to uh, describe the encounter between David and Goliath, and so I thought, well, th- you know, this is a real problem, and and this uh, author is is even been brought into evangelical conferences to speak and things like that. When that kind of thought is mainstreamed, it it harms people's faith mm. um, who who maybe aren't rooted in in all of the Bible. And so I, I think, you know, the, the New Testament prophecies talking about the coming apostasy, the, the apostles knew the conditions that would exist at the time of the end, and, and I, I don't even think it's a debate anymore. It's clear we're living in those times. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have just the most abhorrent teaching in churches, uh, or no Bible teaching at all. Yeah. And and that has brought that that's you know the vacuum has been filled with with all kinds of terrible teaching and and uh, you know the polling is all shows that uh, young people are fleeing the churches and, and that sort of thing and so the apostasy is here and in part it's this idea that the the Bible is uh, is in some part myth yeah. so I just you know I wanted to do that that article about David and Goliath and and. I'm a big believer in doing hands-on research, so I wanted to show people that I've been there. I've seen it, yeah. and and there's no reason not to believe the story. Um, and so that's the kind of thing, and that's the kind of thing I'm doing with this uh, this Patreon page is, is introducing this kind of thought to people. Um, 
uh, you know, maybe teaching Bible prophecy a little bit different way where yeah. I don't rely on some of the old traditional terms and concepts that a lot of people don't understand anymore. So anyway, that that's kind of where that came from. Um, I firmly believe that there is no good reason not to believe the Bible is true, all of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's easily defensible. Mm-hmm. It's just that people... The propaganda is that, that that's, that's not the case. Well, and apologetics and critical thinking have, have really um, been taken out of the church as well. So people don't even know how to think through these things themselves. We did a, a show on Tuesday with Carl Kirby of Reasons for Hope about um, the Arizona Christian University poll, the Barna poll, about pastors having a Christian worldview. It was less than half. Um, pretty much across the board, and it was it was way less than half of half with youth pastors. Okay, so who are these people hiring these youth pastors, and what do these youth pastors believe? It's an absolute disaster. And um, you say in this article, I want to look at, at an example that might not be blatant, but it shows very clearly the slow walk to unbelief. That, you know, these days you could throw a word on there called deconstruction, but um, that uh, volumes are being written about deconstruction and what that actually means. People are walking away, and they are. Um, they've taken a backward path out of Christianity because, um, you know, teachers and secular speakers come in, and like you said, talk to young people and introduce that doubt, and here we are. And I, I thought apostasy and that sort of thing was just a, a lousy book, you know, purpose, purpose-driven life or whatever. It's... Jim, it is much more profound than that. It's much deeper than that. It's much sadder than that. And like you said, you are here. And I agree with you on that completely. We are here, and this is a different kind of apostasy than what I expected. Um, is, is it what you expected? I mean, did you expect that everything about the Scripture would just be torn to shreds? Well, it's interesting you put it that way. Um, I, I, I have to say, like you, I did not see this coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, growing up, we were basically taught that it was going to be the Catholics and the New Agers who were going to create this new, uh, you know, this new world order spiritually. Right. Um, what I never saw coming was that the evangelical church would be part of it. Yeah. And, and I'm yeah. talking about leadership. Yeah. Uh, the rank and file is not that, but the leadership is. And uh, also, you, you mentioned something that, that brought this to my mind. Uh, with, with a, you know, who's teaching the youth and that sort of thing. I remember several years ago reading a magazine article about the beginnings of Rob Bell's ministry mm, and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the pastor, the senior pastor that originally hired him for his first church job, they they interviewed him for this article, and I was astonished at his quote because he didn't seem alarmed by his own quote. He, in fact, he thought it was kind of kind of funny, but. He said what he told his church board when they were going to hire this young uh, graduate from Wheaton was, uh, he said, well, speaking of Bell, he doesn't know much Bible, but he's really a good communicator. Oh, great. Well, that that should have set off flashing red alarm bells in the board. They, they should never have even considered him for a position at the church. Right. But, of course, they did. And we know what that led to. And so that that's the kind of lack of discernment that exists among a lot of church leadership, mm-hmm. um, you know, today. And, and by the way, I think a catalyst for what we're seeing now in the church is the church growth movement itself, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, seeker-driven church mm-hmm. growth. 
it's about a 50 or 60 year effort to change the church to water it down and and they've largely succeeded yeah um and and so you have it's no wonder the polls that show young people are leaving the church but the church has nothing to offer them mm-hmm. um you know it, it it's it's interesting that much of the evangelical world today in leadership believes that we have to make the gospel palatable to people, to the world, that we have to offer it in a, a in a, a an easier way for them to to receive. That that's completely backwards and false. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I do believe that if and, and a lot of the the evangelical leaders would laugh at what I'm going to say, but I think if they would preach the word, which is the word itself, we we were you know, commanded to do that, if they would do that, their churches would actually grow yeah. because they would have healthy believers who would then be discipling other people. Wow. That is, they, they have it exactly backwards mm-hmm. today. What a concept, and, huh? Yeah. And, and the, 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 the more serious problem is, in my view, the arrogance of these leaders can, cannot be moved. Mm-hmm. Um whether they know they're complicit in what is happening, I think a lot of them are, or whether they think that just their own human ideas are better, we still arrive at the same place. Yeah. The, the churches are, are empty yeah. of good Bible teaching today. Yeah, I remember once early on, because I had heard nothing good about Rob Bell and these series of videos in the youth groups and all that, and so I, I watched a presentation, and I, I just came away with whiteboard Bell, because all he was doing was drawing weird stuff on whiteboards, and I remember turning to Tim and saying, "Did you understand a word of that?" He said, "No." I mean, there was no, you know, a lot of, a lot of wind and and thunder, but no rain whatsoever. Nothing useful. And I thought, "Is this really?" And this was maybe fifteen years ago. Is this really what people want in a church? I was absolutely blown away by that. So I appreciate your insights on that. Uh, and yes, David and Goliath were real. And I'm kind of still picturing the fiberglass Goliath alongside of the road. I got to tell you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for that one. <laughs> anyway, I want to move on a little bit, Jim, because you um, you did a podcast on Amos nine fifteen, and I think we're gonna we're gonna launch into Israel is winning this war, and people may not ever hear that, but they are winning this war. And I want to ask you about Amos nine fifteen first, and then go to why Israel is winning in Gaza. And we have about you know we've got a good ten minutes uh, with this segment yet, so I'd like to just ask you about Amos nine fifteen and what that does that says to us, and then what's going on with Israel. So uh, where do you want to start with Amos? Well, yeah, I, I'll I'll start with that that verse. It's the last verse in the book. Uh, you know, it's a small book. He was uh, quote uh, one of the minor prophets, but but he packed a lot of really good information into it, and so. The significance of it is that the world is obviously in chaos. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I read just three articles yesterday that if I wasn't a believer, I would be paralyzed with fear. Uh, it, it, the, the world is insane. Yes, However, I agreed. The, the Lord has told us in his word over and over and over. He's made promises. He's kept all of the promises so far. There's no reason to think you won't keep the rest of them. Mm-hmm. And and so we have to think differently about our world and, and who is in charge. Uh, and so the sovereignty mm-hmm. of God is a big theme with me. And and so uh, if, if we're looking at Amos 9.15, you know, and, and 
the key thing here is this is in the context of the last days. This isn't, he's not talking about something that was going to happen in, say, 250 BC. This is the, the very end of time. Mm-hmm. And the Lord says a really fascinating thing. He says, when I bring you back to your land, you will never be uprooted again. So, so he's throwing down a gauntlet. And the gauntlet is, the world says one thing, I say another. The world says there's going to be a two-state solution. The world says they're going to push the Jews into the sea. The world says, can Israel survive? You know, this is on magazine uh, cover articles. Um, all these supposedly smart pundits, uh, uh, you know, speculate that Israel is, is not going to survive. And it, no, that's thinking about it completely wrong because they're not biblical. Yeah. And, and I don't care if, um, you know, intellectual elites uh, think I'm a, a country rube. I know that the Bible is true. And I know specifically it's true because of the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Now, so if if we're in the present moment, and and there's a, obviously a lot of things going on with Israel, the war, uh, diplomacy, and by the way, this is the one thing that lead, does leave me dismayed. For the first time in my life, my government is actively trying to hurt Israel. Mm-hmm. I think that's significant. Mm-hmm. However. The the thing the point I want to get to here is, no matter what we see going on, God said Israel is here to stay. He said it as plain as you can say it. I will not uproot you again. Yeah. And so, whatever fear people have that Israel is going to disappear, they should lose that fear immediately, and and keep that attitude because God has said it is not going to happen. And so. If he keeps his promises on that scale, he absolutely will keep individual promises to individuals. Mm-hmm. And, and and so you can take all of it to the bank. And uh, and I think that's what uh, a lot of churches today are missing. They're not teaching that kind of thing. They're using humanistic models to try to calm people's nerves, and, and it's not working. If they would teach the sovereignty of God and, and use these examples, I think they'd see a, a whole different thing. Now, with regard to Israel itself, um, I mean, there are existential threats right now that have never existed before. Um, right. I, I don't think I've ever seen a time in which military threat, diplomacy, media, uh, political structures are conspiring against Israel in what I think is a coordinated effort. Uh, they're going to fail, but before they fail entirely, they're, they're causing some problems. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Israel, as I said, the, the idea that they are fighting a war against Hamas with both arms and both legs tied behind their back because of Western uh, uh, governments right. is despicable. Yeah. Yeah, it really um, it is. It is. We're living in this regime, this I think you called it, uh, I don't know if you called it psychopathic or psychotic or what you called it, but it is all of that. It, it is. It is. It's, yeah. their, their policies are insane. Yeah. Now, to, specifically, though, uh, the war, you're, you're actually correct. They, Israel is winning. They're, they're almost winning in spectacular fashion. Yeah. Um, again, given the, the roadblocks that have been put up 
for them. Uh, they have decimated Hamas. Hamas is no longer in charge of Gaza. Uh, they're, they're now moving out of, I think, full combat operations to more of a, I don't want to say cleanup operation because there's a lot left to be done. Yeah. But Israel has taken control of Gaza. Now the, the last little bit, I think, I think Rafa is 10 or 15% of Gaza. They're, they're there now. And they're in Khan Yunus. Um, they're on the heels of, uh, of Sinwar, that devil that uh, that's in, in charge of Hamas. And so Israel's military achievements are absolutely breathtaking. Mm-hmm. Um, their technology, the, the personal courage of the troops, uh, the battle plans are all deluxe. And uh, they've got they've got Hamas on the ropes. I do think they'll finish the job, mm-hmm. um, but that's that's kind of where it is now. Mm-hmm. This uh, there's an article that I uh, we had read the tablet from the tablet why Israel is winning in Gaza, and I just want to pull a few interesting things from this article because um, well it's just interesting. I'll, I have four points here. Uh, the first one being media talking heads, you know, with questionable military and combat experience, were saying at the beginning they could not win, that there would be a stalemate on both sides, which you know, you and I both know is absolutely insane. That would never work. But this was before the expanse of tunnels was really known. Um, but uh, it says here 572 Israeli soldiers have died and 373 of those on October the 7th. Now think about that. 10,000 Hamas fighters have been killed. So that's a 1 to 50 rate. That's a 1 to 50 difference. So less than 300 Israeli soldiers have died in this entire 140-ish days. Uh, Western pressure um, to not go in and use all the firepower they had at their disposal, disposal, of course, was to keep the Western geniuses believe, to keep uh, civilian casualties down. Also, a, a special unit from 25 years ago that's already trained in tunnel warfare is active. It's called Yahalom, and that means diamond in Hebrew. Um, it's a combat engineer unit that specializes in such things, so it's not like they don't know what they're doing. They're not just throwing soldiers at this. And finally, I want to talk about um, some equipment that's unique to the IDF. It's in high demand by foreign armies. Well, isn't that interesting? They're called Merkava tanks. Um, they're, they're not like the seemingly uh, formidable uh, German tanks that failed to, it says you're failed to spearhead Ukraine's big offensive, um, but they could not... Um, withstand the the Russian cornet missiles that Hamas also has. So in addition, these tanks, in addition to the thick armor, each 60-ton Merkava went into Gaza with its own counterweapon that intercepts incoming missiles and rockets at close range. Um, they just have, I, we don't hear about this in the media, they have the most incredible, um, you know, God has given them the most incredible weapons, and they did not throw everything at the enemy, and even with that, my point being, God is uh, been on their side. Um, it's been severe. It says here the constraints placed on Israel's combat operations have been very severe and a major impediment to its fight. But they've already won. So, Jim, to me, that says pretty much everything that I need to know. Uh, despite October seventh being the, one of the most horrible days in human history, um, God is still, but God, as we like to say. Um, they're still winning this war. So, um, anything else you want to add? We got two minutes in this particular uh, segment yeah. before we take a break. Anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, just just to kind of add a, a couple of details to, to the good stuff you brought out. Uh, you know, overall, 
Israel has now shattered Hamas. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they've destroyed them. Um, one of the things that people have to understand, and you would think that their enemies, especially the local ones, would remember these things from, you know, <laughs> from just a few years ago. The Israelis are smarter than their enemies by a good stretch. Yeah. And and one of the pieces of equipment that uh, that article talks about is is a it basically like a command car. Um, however, they've eliminated the problem of the commander of the car having to physically stand up and expose himself to fire to to direct fire uh, from from their other uh, uh, weapon systems, and and so they can stay inside the thick armor because they've embedded cameras in the armor mm-hmm. itself, mm-hmm. which allows them to see 360 view of everything going on outside. I mean, you can't, they're, they're so far ahead yeah. technologically from their enemies that in a way, it's not a fair fight. Yeah. And, and so, again, when you combine these things with the fact that the Lord is going before them, as he did in the days of old, this was a promise. Yeah. Um, they're they're unbeatable, yeah. and, uh, yeah. and and so that's where it really is. But of course, the media gives us a false yeah. picture. Well, we're going to come back. I want to ask you about the north because things to be seem to be heating up up there, and then we're going to switch gears completely and talk about some some cultural things. I'm talking to Jim Fletcher today. This is Stand Up for the Truth for February the fifteenth. Uh, Jim Fletcher, The God That Answers, is at patreon.com. And I really encourage you to, to uh, subscribe to that. A lot of very, very thoughtful articles. So we'll be back in two minutes with more from Jim Fletcher. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our Truth at Any Cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth for this Thursday, February the 15th. We're speaking to Jim Fletcher, The God That Answers, and that's at Patreon.com. Highly recommend uh, those thoughtful posts. Jim, um, I want to come back briefly to, uh, before we switch gears completely, um, IDF chief says military focus is being ready for war in the north. Oh boy, it's a war-weary country, as we talked about early on. What is your take on war in the north at this point? Well, I I think it's going to have to come in in some form or another. Uh, you know, uh, earlier in this war, somebody I don't remember now made a really fascinating point. They said it's too bad that they can't knock out Iran first because then everything else would dry up mm. um mm-hmm. you know yeah. iran is of course financing yeah. all the terrorists in the yeah. region Cut and, off and the head. particularly yep. Yep. particularly causing problems in the north um, everybody knows about the huge stockpiles of rockets that uh hezbollah has in lebanon and you know lebanon is controlled by hamas uh first you know 40 years ago it was the plo they kicked them out and now uh, hezbollah has taken over um, and, and they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop until somebody stops them. Uh, I was, I was listening to an interesting, uh, webinar yesterday and there's a, an IDF reserve officer talking about this specifically. And she said, uh, you know, nothing is going to happen positive there because, uh, you know, until somebody decent controls the presidency in Lebanon, Lebanon's government, hmm. Um, so she was she was acknowledging that Hezbollah has a stranglehold on that country. Now, 
what it means right now is, uh, you know, for whatever reason, whether they were told by Iran to to restrain themselves or, you know, it's, it's some strategic reason, Hezbollah hasn't opened up fully in the north mm-hmm. and created a second war front. Um, but but it's it's building and. I think once Israel is finished with combat operations in Gaza, and, and you know they're they're going to be there for years, uh, it, you know, in some form or another, wow. they'll turn their attention to the north. Mm-hmm. Um, they they can't tolerate us a, a long term situation where Israeli citizens can't go back to their homes uh, near the Golan Heights. That that's just an intolerable situation, and so. I think Israel will engage Hezbollah. Now, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. People live in in fear, and they're thinking about these things wrong. Um, Does does Hezbollah have the capability to send 100,000 rockets into Israel? Yeah, they do. But again, Amos 9.15, God says Israel is not going to be destroyed. So how he preserves them. I, I don't know the details, but biblically, uh, Hezbollah is not going to win. Now, uh, Israel is is already operating up there. After the, the uh, there was a barrage of rockets yesterday that killed one Israeli soldier, Israel responded by sending fighter jets into Syria and Lebanon and bombing several key sites. They killed uh, some Hezbollah commanders. So they're answering, And uh, but, but what people underestimate is Israel's capabilities here, uh, many of which are are not seen. They're under the radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Israel has things uh, ready that are 10 years ahead of anybody else. And so, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, they'll have to engage Hezbollah in some way. Uh, if they do, I think Israel will emerge victorious. Yeah. yeah, I have no doubt that they will. And stages are being set here, and we don't even know because we can't see one minute into the future. We're just we're just humans, but stages are being set for other things. And to me, it's all it's all with the Lord. We're there's something else going to happen. It's just uh, the beginning of something else. So we wait and watch for see what God is going to do. Um, and uh, it's it's an exciting time to be alive, even though we grieve for those who lost people over there and continue to. Um, but eh, we're seeing what God's going to do. So uh, thank you for that insight on the northern uh, possible incursion there, and I'm going to move on to a, a few more topics as we wrap up the second half here. Um, <laughs> here's some cultural observation. He gets us. Now, this these ads uh, ran now for two Super Bowls in a row, and these folks who, who make these ads have decided to inflict this progressive nonsense on us. I've seen some videos from people who are not saved, and they know it's nonsense. When I was a perfect heathen, I would have said this is nonsense. But these, uh, whoever put this up, admit they have an agenda. Well, that's a start. But they also take a lot of shots at those that they perceive use what they call the greatest love story ever to to deepen cultural and ideological divides. Well, that's us. In other words, the culture would be a lot better off if those hypocritical, narrow-minded Bible people who hate and judge and oppress would just be quiet and let the relevant among us reframe Jesus through a modern lens. And what we're left with is pretty much universalism that strips God with uh, of his very nature to judge sin and um, that he would overlook the cross. Uh, Jim, that, that's my thinking on this. What are your thoughts when you see these ads other than, I mean, 
professional eye rolling is where I'm at at this point. But what are your thoughts when you see these ads? Yeah, I, I think it's a really insidious um, uh, program that's been created. Now, um, I believe that in situations like this, the drivers behind it, there are two kinds of people here. You're talking about people that, that really out of, I could even believe that pure motives, they, you know, it's similar to a smaller church pastor who, who sincerely wants to grow his church because he wants to see people saved. Hmm. And, but, but he succumbs to the, the lure of, of the church growth techniques. Hmm. Um, so, so I think that some of the people involved in this campaign that he gets us probably do so out of sincere motives. But the problem is those that don't who are complicit and they know exactly what they're doing and what they're doing is continuing this decades long, uh, effort to, to change the church by softening it. Um, those people know exactly what they're doing. And, you know, you notice all you have to do is look at one of those ads and there's no talk of sin, repentance, holy living, none of that. Um, the the actual gospel is not presented, right? Um, and and further, there are subtle nods to the left, which is another reason why I think a lot of this is choreographed. Um, you know, I, I believe for a while now that the religious leaders in this country, and I'm I'm speaking primarily now of evangelicals. Uh, if you follow what they do, their their tactics are identical to the Washington swamp. Hmm. I, I think I think they I think they coordinate things together. Um, because the end result is is the same. If if Washington is turning to the political left, the evangelical leaders are turning to the uh, left wing progressive Christianity. Uh, there's no question they're doing it. Yeah. Um, and and so that's why you won't see the real gospel presented in these ads. You will see things like, um, you know, what appears to be uh, homosexual relationship, or, or you know, some right. some form of that there, um, or uh, you know, the one where the person is washing the feet of a woman outside uh, an abortion clinic. But but very tellingly, the sign outside is not abortion clinic; it's something like family planning center. Mm-hmm. So. Everything these people do is deeply manipulative. Yeah. They manipulate concepts. They, they particularly manipulate words and images. Um, the fact is, the he gets us stuff is a progressive form of Christianity, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah. Now, uh, there, again, there are a lot of evangelical leaders driving this. One of them, uh, one of the leaders is Ed Stetzer. Uh, Ed Stetzer mm-hmm. started out in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I talked about him a lot. He started out in the Southern Baptist Convention. In fact, these ads, I think, originated with the SBC, which is even more bizarre. I mean, wow. I grew up in that denomination, and it, it bears no resemblance to what it was then. Uh, now he's moved on to Biola. He was at Wheaton for a while. But Stetzer's fingerprints are all over this kind of stuff. Mm. And, and by the way, I'll just say this quickly. These people, and, and him in particular, are also involved in other things, like during the uh, the, the pandemic, 
they were the religious leaders pushing lockdown stuff. Mm. They were pushing masks. They were pushing uh, the jab. Uh, there are reasons why they're doing this, and the reason is they're left wing themselves. Yeah. And and so people are not aware of this. And uh, you know, your average evangelical will see those ads and go, "Wow, that, that you know, it's great. They're talking about Jesus." They're not talking about the Jesus of the Bible. No, that's absolutely true. And if, if you go to the website, and I encourage people to do that, hegetsus.com, because you will very, very quickly understand that a lot of it is a backhanded slap against traditional conservative Christianity because they open up on their page with how it says, how did the story of Jesus, the world's greatest love story, get twisted into a tool to judge, harm, and divide um, how do we remind people that the story of Jesus belongs to everyone? Um, boy, there's a, a boatload of, you know, falsehood in there. And also, they're not just promoting um, something that they feel that, well, you know, you people have left out marginalized and, um, you know, these people do not fit in with your version of Christianity, which, of course, is just couldn't be further from the truth. Um, but I, I do want to mention that it is a uh, through and through a slap of traditional Christianity. Uh, they think they're being proactive, but there's something more going on there. Um, the Babylon Bee, and this is sarcasm. I want to raise the sarcasm sign here. They they had a response to this, which I think is one of the best I've ever heard. And I just bear with me for a minute. I want to read through this. Um, again, this is sarcasm. Okay, the headline is, God hopeful the millions spent on He Gets Us Super Bowl ad will finally give him some exposure. It says, according to sources, God is really excited about the He Gets Us ad that ran during the Super Bowl and is hoping the slick marketing will finally give him some much-needed exposure. This is just what we've been missing, said spokes Angel Gabriel in reaction to the ads. Yes, God created a universe that declares his infinite glory, designed all life, made man in his image, came to earth in flesh to atone for the sins of the world, gave us his written word, and gifted the Holy Spirit to all who believe in him. But he's really been lacking in the PR and marketing department. It looks like the He Gets Us campaign could finally change all that. Sources say the Alpha and Omega is thrilled to see that teams of hip millennial writers and graphic designers are finally able to show the kinder, gentler side of the one who sustains life of every living soul while offering his free gift of forgiveness and salvation to everyone who trusts in him. For too long, uh, Gabriel says, for too long, people have seen God as a grumpy guy with a beard. Now they can finally see him as a God who enjoys fair trade coffee and strawberry vape while attending social justice marches. It's so cool. And it ends with, at publishing time, the PR team for Satan reminded everyone that Satan gets them too. Well, ain't that the truth? <laughs> Again, that was sarcasm. And um, I just, I, I really feel that uh, they kind of, uh, you know, hit the mark with that. Um, any any other thoughts on he gets us, Jim? Yeah, I mean, you know, mentioning the, the creators of this kind of content, um, you know, again, there are really spiritual know-nothings. They, they're not grounded in the Word. You cannot know God apart from His Word. It's as simple as that. Mm, amen. And, and so creating these alternate Jesus is, is not the way to go. Um, but, but, you know, the, the smugness, the arrogance behind this kind of stuff, because I know that, that, that a lot of the drivers behind it have been confronted by people who are making very good points, they have concerns about it, it hasn't slowed this train one bit. Hmm. 
And that means that the drivers behind all of it, even if they know they're in error, they're going to keep doing it because they have a different agenda. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all good insights and things we need to keep in mind uh, because they will continue to crop up. I mean, I, I think the ads are only shown during the football season, but I'm not sure. Uh, this is well, going to keep – go ahead. I, I just want to make one other quick point. Mm-hmm. Is, like you said, if you look at their website, their, their, uh, their articles uh, have um, buzzwords like uh, activist, refugee, inclusive, they're, they're telling you exactly what they are. Mm-hmm. This is a progressive form of Christianity mm-hmm. that is left-wing. They want to bring in other ideas, such as open borders. They're also big open border advocates. So they're telling mm-hmm. you who they are, if, if people will kind of check it out a little bit. Yeah. yeah, they certainly are. Speaking of Super Bowl ads, I want to look at one other one that kind of left me a little bit gobsmacked. and it, A lot of Americans, it made them angry. I only tuned in in the second half, and there was that ad first thing up. And Leo Homan says, creepy Super Bowl ad spreads supersized dose of Pfizer propaganda. Um, to say that this ad was controversial is an understatement because they had to turn off the comments on the YouTube upload. I'm just going to read a little bit from uh, Leo's article and then ask what you think, Jim. Um, again, creepy size, creepy Super Bowl ad spreads supersized dose of Pfizer propaganda. Uh, Pfizer spent seven million on a Super Bowl ad, hoping to convince us that the company rep- that represents science, they represent science and not billion dollar vaccine profits. Well, we already know what they represent, but the ad triggered so much outrage the comments were turned off. It includes images of famous scientists, including Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton, and Copernicus. Uh, a Catholic canon and mathematician who formulated a model of the universe that placed the sun rather than the earth at its center. And it says, sorry, Fauci, you're no Albert Einstein. The ad also featured Rosalind Franklin, whose work was central to the understanding of the molecular structures of DNA and RNA. And the word science appeared several times in the ad, subliminal messaging and mind control at its best. Um, and then there was the, the soundtrack, was, which was Queen, and they kept playing Having a Good Time. The song is Don't Stop Me Now. That's bizarre. Um, of course, they didn't mention all of the cases of myocarditis and blood clots that people have endured and sudden death. Um, and now there's a video clip offering facts that did not make it into the ad um, about uh, the vaccine never being tested and that sort of thing. Very, very deceptive, Jim. Um, uh, what do you think about? Did you see the ad, by the way? I did, um, and and it's it's everything that you said it was. It it's really Marxist style propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the fact that they and again, I, I want to go back to what I said before. Everything is carefully crafted for a reason, and to use the examples of dead scientists, some of whom were Christians. And who would not have mm. gone along with this kind of science? That that is there. It, it's as if those those long dead scientists are giving their endorsement of this ad and, and Pfizer, and they they obviously weren't. Yes, um, but people need to think things like that through. Uh, I, I mentioned before they they um, they micromanage images, words, concepts in order to get you to believe that, that, for example, Pfizer is is about life-saving. Pfizer and other drug companies that pushed all this stuff, they're about revenue. 
Mm-hmm. And, and all of a sudden, in the last few years, they made billions more that just kind of came out of nowhere. They, they before didn't have that opportunity, but by pushing these, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, vaccines and things like that, they're making money hand over fist. Um, I would also say, point out, remember what I said before about uh, different parties coordinating and choreographing all this stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden you have Travis Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs dating Taylor Swift. Um, many people don't care, but <laughs> the media force that relationship down our throats. Well, what else is Travis Kelsey doing? He's in a Pfizer commercial That's right. where he promotes getting the jab. Um, it, all of this stuff comes from the same place. They use a lot of the same players, and they want to get people's discernment down so that they'll they'll just mindlessly follow whatever they're told to do. I, mm-hmm. I think one advantage we have is that now alternate media, which, of course, you're part of, mm-hmm. is is informing people. And more and more people are figuring this out every day, um, but but it's not stopping these kind of ad campaigns from, from going forward. Uh, but, but again, the thing that just jumped out at me was, was using a tacit endorsement from somebody that that is long dead and can't speak for himself. That that's that's the epitome of mm-hmm. of cold, craven uh, propaganda. Oh man! And when you see the ad, they actually animate these people's mouths to say what they want them yes. to say. I mean, it doesn't get any more blatant than that. Um, the article goes on to uh, talk about uh, Klaus Schwab back in 2021. He said, "As long as not everyone is vaccinated, nobody will be safe." Well, that's a whopper. <laughs> Um, and, and he is echoing the chorus of many globalists, uh, who pressured people to do this. You know, Prince Charles, Bill Gates, George Soros, uh, Zuckerberg, uh, heads of state, um, uh, religious leaders, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, Leo Homan here says, we must never forget their names, those who misled the masses, those who ridiculed the watchman on the wall, who told the truth. And he says, if you learn nothing else in the last three or four years, you should have learned this. Never follow the herd. In a world run by Luciferian globalists, the herd is always being led to the slaughter. And I think that's pretty profound because uh, um, there were plenty of people who spoke up and they were censored and they were they were they lost jobs. And and um, that is really good advice. We need to think for ourselves, be critical thinkers. It's more important than ever before. So, yeah, if you get a chance to watch that on YouTube uh, at your own risk. Jim, we have about four minutes left. We didn't get a chance to talk about dividing Jerusalem. Um, what would you like to talk about? Is there anything left on the plate here with about four minutes left? Well, if, if we're talking about, you know, the, the, the two-state solution is still being pushed hard by mm-hmm. the left. It, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a failed policy 30 years ago. Everything that's happened since proves that it was failed on a catastrophic scale, but it's still being promoted. Um, that pressure on Israel is only going to continue until the end. However, I do not believe that Israelis will agree. Uh, I don't think any government will support going forward the division of Jerusalem again. Okay. I don't think it'll happen. Well, that in itself can be the trigger for the, the, the great last day's um, events, um, and, and I, 
I heard something uh, the other day that, that really uh, took me aback, and it was a, an Israeli talking about the fact that, you know, the Hamas massacre has shaken all of them to their core. And and some of their old assumptions are, are no longer that. And so Israelis are now more vigilant than they've ever been, more mm-hmm. uh, in tune with with the threats. And I think in an, in an odd way, the Hamas attack has galvanized the Israelis. Um, you know, it's interesting. The, the left, the, the evildoers, will do the very thing that will ultimately ensure their defeat. And, you know, you don't want a stronger Israel. And Israel is strong when the people are galvanized. They are now. And I think they're not, they're not going to forget October 7th. Nope. And and that's why any talks of you know ceasefires or, or ending the war anything less than destroying Hamas they're they're not going to go for. Yeah. Um, and and so the the political questions too like well for example what's going on now in the north with Hezbollah can you imagine if Israel didn't control the Golan Heights? Yeah. Wow. Uh, can you ima- so then can you imagine mm-hmm. what would happen if they did not control East Jerusalem? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. it, it's unthinkable, and, and they, they won't go for anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And I love what Hal Lindsay said. He said, to recognize the state of Palestine in the aftermath of their October attacks on Israel would encourage every rogue group on earth to follow that wicked path. It would bring chaos to this planet, the likes of which has never been seen before. Very, very interesting topics this morning, Jim, and I so appreciate your time. Um, it's just been uh, a great chance to, to catch up on Israel, and uh, I hope you get to go to Israel. Um, I I don't know, but uh, keep us posted on that. I will. I will. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, again, the God that answers at Patreon dot com. Uh, that's Jim's project these days, and um, uh, the the Israel Watch on Rapture Ready is still doing some of that too. I am. I do that every week. Okay. 17 years now. Great. Rapture ready, Israel Watch. Thanks, Jim. We sure appreciate your time. Thanks. God bless. All right. Uh, Christian Home Educators of Wisconsin announces its 2024 statewide homeschool conference in the Dells. That's April 4th and 5th. Uh, go to the links at q90fm.com if you're interested. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Thanks for joining me today. We appreciate our listeners. God bless you. Have a great day.